0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of Dragon Talk, the official to the Dragons podcast. My name is Greg Tito, and I am joined by no one. There is no one here to co-host with me because they are on vacation. Both Shelly Mazzanoble and Bart Keller, Carroll and Trevor Kidd are all busy today, so it's just me, I know, it's super annoying, but you get to go through these announcements way fast, and then we'll get right into talking to Dylan Sprouse about his role in Force Gray, Lost City of Omu, which is going to be debuting on Twitch, 5pm, July 31st, that's today, uh, 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 you know, if you're wondering, time traveling and, and all being what it is, uh, but we're going to do that in about an hour. Um, so let's go through some quick announcements, and you could get everything that you might need uh, there. So... Um, we are going to talk about, uh, Hazcon is coming, uh, September 8th through the 10th. It's in Providence, Rhode Island. If you're in the Northeast, I highly suggest checking out Hazcon. If you're into any kind of toy brands like My Little Pony or Transformers or Marvel or, uh, uh, Star Wars will also be there, the licensed products, um, Go check it out and then your family can come with you and then you can introduce them into your fun hobbies like Magic the Gathering or Dungeons and Dragons or maybe your other fun hobbies are also there in some of the other gaming properties that will be there at HasCon. But it's going to be a fun time. I'm going to be there. Uh, Trevor Kidd is going to be there. Mike Merles is going to be there. Chris Lindsay is going to be there. Richard Witters. We don't get to see him very often. but He's a uh, lead concept artist for us and he's amazing. So he will also be there to talk about D&D world building uh, which should be fantabulous. Uh, So if you're interested in there, go to hascon.hasbro.com, click on the tickets tab, scroll all the way to the bottom, and you'll see all the D&D events that are there for you. Force Gray, Lost City of Omu, is going to premiere tonight. I'm going to be talking to Dylan Sprouse, as I mentioned, uh, but it'll be every Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific time. There'll be new episodes of Force Gray. You should definitely check that out. Uh, Matt Mercer returns as DM, Joe Manganello, Deborah Ann Wall, Dylan Sprouse, Udkar Budkar, and Brian Passane, all amazing people who have careers in comedy and acting and creating in general and uh they are all coming together to play Dungeons and Dragons and it's pretty amazing I've seen very little bit just really the trailer which you can check out right now uh it's it's really great and I can't wait to go watch it as a as a brand new viewer just like you guys uh at 5 p.m uh each Monday uh, yes, Wizkins, Icons of the Realms is also available right now in stores. Uh, they have a new, uh, slew of, uh, I think 40 to 50 new sculpts of new miniatures. My favorite are the Modrons. We got some Duodrons, I think, in there, uh, that are coming. Um, you need to look up what those are if you don't know what they are. They're pretty, they're pretty amazing. Uh, as well as a cool pack-in of, uh, this, the Green Devil Mask will also be there. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, Dungeons & Dragons Beyond. I keep on saying Dungeons & Dragons Beyond, but it's actually D&D Beyond is the actual official name. That's going to be out August 15th. Brand new character builder, all optimized by our friends at Cursed Media uh, for 5th edition. You can make any kind of character in there you want. You Go ahead and check it out right now. You can make characters using the basic rules. And then on August 15th, you can incorporate some of the other uh, content that Dungeons and Dragons has been putting out for the last year, uh, two, three, four years. It's all going to be on there. Uh, you can uh, purchase that and also subscribe on there. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I would suggest checking that out. Dragon Plus issue 14 just uh, came out a little while ago. It's got some awesome stuff in there from uh, the Rat Queen. Uh, a, a writer Curtis Weeb wrote an adventure taking place in the Rat Queens universe uh, as well as some previews of Tomb of Annihilation and an awesome poem by Rudy Rutenberg from Maze Arcana uh, is in that issue. I suggest you check that out. Neverwinter Tomb of Annihilation is out now on PC. You can jump into the jungles of Chult, explore that area, as well as Port Nyanzaru. Maybe get a quest from Volo, uh, who is voiced by none other than Chris Perkins. And uh, you can do that on uh, the PC version right now. And uh, Xbox One and PS4 versions will be coming very soon of the Tomb of Annihilation storyline. But Neverwinter is a very fun game. It's free to play. Uh, Find out more about that at playneverwinter.com. Um, a Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. Shelley's an amazing game. I'm going to talk about that. It's coming on October 6th. It's a really fun version mashup of uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill with uh, exploring the Dungeons and Dragons City of Baldur's Gate. I suggest you jump into it because it is fabulous. Um, and uh, we talked to uh, James Wyatt here on the podcast for Plain Chef Amenket just recently. Um, James Wyatt used to be on the D&D team. I suggest you look up that interview if you're interested in that. But he has all the versions of uh, the D&D art – I'm sorry, the art books, art of magic books that have come out for the last few sets of magic he uh, makes it into um, a D and D PDF that you can download, and uh, you can basically it's like a, a translation of the D and D rules as for how you might be able to play with using those rules in a mag, uh, Magic Multiverse setting, and it's pretty amazing. Amun is cool because it's got a couple of new domains that your uh, things can use because it's uh, um, uh, more of a, a deity focused kind of storyline. Ancient Egypt, a uh, lot of stuff going on there. I suggest you check it out. Best way to find that is to do uh, a search for PlainShift Amonkhet, A-M-O-N-K-H-E-T. we got great SEO on that. It'll be fantastic. All right, I think I'm done with announcements. I don't think I need any more. What do you think? No? Gosh, this call and response thing is not working very well, guys. Anywho, we're going to get right to a new segment. Uh, It's going to be... Probably going to be lore segments, just, you know, law of averages. We've been recording more lore segments than uh, that. So jump into it and uh, enjoy and get all of the D&D information you could possibly need before we call up Dylan Sprouse and talk to him about his role in Force Grey, Lost City of Omu. But first, before that, a wonderful segment. Okay, go ahead. Big Monks. Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and this segment is where we jump into Dungeons & Dragons lore, speaking to the people who make it right now, right? Yep. How's it going, Chris? Pretty good. Nice. We have yep. Chris Perkins, then we have... Matt Serrett. Hello! Howdy. How's it going?
1: Pretty
0: good. Uh, today, uh, in celebration of uh, Tomb of Annihilation coming out very soon, uh, we're going to talk about uh, uh, a, uh, a character... That is behind you. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, him! He
2: uh, is named Aserrarak. Yes, uh, and or as some players are fond of saying Assrack. Assrack.
1: Yes. For me, it's always A3 rack because that's how I remember how to spell it. Mm. Oh,
0: that's a I need a, I need a mnemonic for how to spell it because I have misspelled his name many a time. And oddly enough, it's not in spell check. It yeah. is not in the dictionary. Yeah, it's a
2: major shortcoming <laughs> of our dictionary.
0: Exactly, and so I'm going to add it to it very yeah. soon. Uh, but we're going to talk about uh, that character, where he began. Uh, we covered this a little bit when we were talking about Tales from the Awning Portal and uh, the Tomb of Horrors uh, module in there and where it came from. But we're going to delve a little bit more into to his story in this little segment here. So uh, was that the first place that he appeared was in the Tomb of Horrors uh, yeah, publication? Yeah,
1: there, um, That was a first edition uh, uh, in 1978, I think, mm-hmm. was the original publication. Yep. And what month? Uh, that's that's <laughs> when I was born. I was well, born so, at the same time, as and Tomb it was of an originally high. a, a uh, what? Which call it? Um, tournament tournament module, module yeah. right? Um, Hence, so,
2: its unforgiving nature. Yeah. Uh, yes.
1: And yeah. so, Sarac appears at the end, and it's kind of like the 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 last gotcha of the adventure, which is full of gotchas. So uh, you you expect to maybe go fight this lich and so on, and you you open up the room, and and there's a skull with some gems, in it's Eye sockets and teeth, and it's just sitting in sort of a some dust on like a pillar or something like that. And uh, that's it. That's him. That, that's, that's his <laughs> phylactery. <laughs> yeah, that
2: floats up and steals your soul, and you all die. And <laughs> you wonder why you spent the last, you know eight hours going through this. And, and, and killed <laughs> as many characters as you have.
1: The, the ways in which you can damage and kill a Sarag in the adventure uh, at the end there are... Highly specific. Just ridiculous. Like, everything you do gives him power. Every attack you yeah. make gives him power. Unless you have a holy avenger or, like, a few other things, mm-hmm. and it's it's just super specific, and, yeah. and basically you're just screwed. The
2: adventure basically says, now is the time for the characters to run away.
0: <laughs>
1: and if they don't, <laughs> kill them all. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: yeah. Exactly. So was he a character that, uh, uh, or a like type of character that had been used before, or is this brand no, new? No,
2: in fact, uh, this in this form, which is called a Demi-Lich, which is essentially a, I don't want to say a lesser Lich, but a Lich that has lost most of its physical form. Um, that, this was the first appearance of that creature in the game. Right.
1: Okay. And then in uh, the second edition, um, well, I guess it's still first edition, uh, but it's Monster Manual 2, the write-up for it um, basically describes a demi-lich and pretty much just describes a sarac in the dungeon. And there's a, a vague hint to the idea that uh, the soul of the lich has passed on to someplace else and gone somewhere. Who knows? It's mysterious. Right. Um, this is like a remnant. And it's yeah, it's just the physical remains that are left over. I see. I um, see.
0: So now is this was this done on purpose uh, like like becoming a lich is a very long process? Maybe we can talk about that a little bit too, as mm-hmm. to far as you know how how powerful wizards who don 't care about uh, uh, <laughs> good or bad in any way are like,
2: "Oh, I can live forever if i if I become a lich yes, powerful evil wizards in particular can undergo the ritual of lichdom because it 's such a terrible ritual, few good wizards even attempt it, nor would they want to live in that form necessarily, but mm-hmm. yes, if you're of an evil bent and you have sufficient power, and in earlier editions you had to have certain ability scores in addition to being a certain level of wizard before you could even hope to survive. In later editions we said that there's uh, a lich making process which is very highly secret, but if you do learn it from Orcus or whoever, yeah. and you are you know, at least this level, you can become a lich. Um, you basically retain your spell casting abilities. And you undergo the physical transformation into undeath, and in order to sustain yourself and protect yourself, you need to craft a phylactery as part of this process of transformation, and it thereafter protects you in such a way that if your physical form is destroyed or slain, the phylactery will rejuvenate you. And that just grows new flesh?
1: Is that you become
2: essentially what you were before you were destroyed, which is an undead lich creature?
1: Yeah, and, and I mean it, it with. The advent of 5th edition, we have the idea that essentially liches can maintain a sort of more mortal-looking form by feeding souls semi-regularly to their phylactery and essentially destroying those souls in order to sort of keep their bodies l- looking lifelike. And some liches choose to do so, and many of them kind of forget after a while, yeah. or they forget a few times, and things start going south. So, <laughs>
2: souls are basically lich collagen. Yeah.
1: And, <laughs> and then that idea essentially is why uh, liches um, become demi-liches, because eventually they just, they, they've forgotten, and yeah. they, they, they don't, and so they,
2: they let themselves go.
1: They let it, themselves go. They're like, yeah. we, we're not going to win any balls. We're not going to win any pageants here. Who cares? Because the whole point of becoming a lich is uh, to become immortal. Yeah. And and yet there was this weird idea of demi-liches, like where did that come from? And so 2nd Edition kind of has an answer for Aserarach, which is that um, in Return to the Tomb of Horrors, his soul has gone off um, into the astral plane and uh, to do other things. Basically, to um, I think his plan is to gain control of all of the undead in the world, or something along those lines. But the idea is that his his soul's left into the astral plane. It has a physical body in the astral plane. It can go to other planes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then um, he's just let his body deteriorate. But like, why did his body deteriorate? I don't know. Right? Just, They're
0: magical. They yeah. shouldn't. They shouldn't just be governed by the laws of, of physical nature like that.
1: So um, with fifth edition, we we sort of went back to the drawing board with the Lich and the Demi-Lich um, and sort of followed the through line of that story and early on figured that out, that we wanted to have Liches do this and demi be this and this is what a Serac is. Got it. And there was, a, I think we even contemplated putting a sarak into the Monster Manual at one point. He is,
2: it, actually.
1: Well, he's on the Monster Manual. But He's on the DMG. Well, the DM,
2: right. And the stats for the Demi-Lich... Um, have with them a sidebar on a Cerarak in particular okay. and what makes him unique.
1: Okay. So I thought we were going to do like a full write up for him or something like that. We did a full write
2: up for him in Tales from the Yawning Portal. Of right. Yeah. This makes much more sense now. Uh,
0: so, so it's, I mean, I almost want to think about like uh, uh, the idea of like astronauts, like when they go up into the space, they have to exercise or their, their muscles will like waste away. Mm-hmm. And it's the same for, for liches in a way. It's like it, after a while, Things start to deteriorate until you're just your right. spirit.
1: Yes, and a lot of the the uh, individuals who choose to become liches are doing so in pursuit of um, magical knowledge and power and right. stuff like that. And so, and they're often kind of super evil. So they've they've divested themselves of a lot of social connections anyway. So eventually, you know, as long as you can turn a page, who cares what color your fingers are <laughs> like, yeah. if they have flesh on you're them? Gonna read. Whatever.
0: Now, do the uh, I mean, now Asarax. Body and soul went into the astral plane, but there's some shard of him left. Does he have consciousness in
1: both places? Is it like a Dr. Manhattan type situation where he's split? So the theory was that it's kind of like the astral projection spell. And in that spell, oh, you you have a body that's left behind, and you, you have a soul that goes off in the astral plane and trail behind you this silvery cord and do that kind of thing. And that, yeah. that um, soul in the astral plane has a physical form and then that can go into other planes and do other things and stuff like that. So that was the the general idea. But I guess. does the right hand know what the left hand
0: is doing like does the th- astral plane th- version know what the one demi-lich version that's yeah, left? Yeah,
1: I think that I, th- I think it depends on the addition to the degree to which but I know that you can kill somebody who's astrally traveling and um, and that's bad for them obviously no. <laughs> <laughs> generally yeah you can yeah. You can like attack their body while they're basically comatose um, but Got it. Uh, but that's not the case with the, the demulage obviously so that's yeah that's sort of a different thing
0: now you mentioned the sidebar about what makes a Cerorac unique what uh, what are some of those things that make him unique um,
2: I don't know. <laughs> 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 I that sidebar in front of me. And I don't, Dang I don't, it. I wrote it so used, long ago, I don't remember. You have such an encyclopedic uh, so, knowledge almost all the time. <laughs> um, he has basically the, the Demi Lich in the Monster Manual is, I think, a CR-21 threat, and it's got a number of abilities. It's a pretty beefy stat block. Uh, but to reflect the fact that Aserak can do other things, at least historically, the sidebar basically encapsulated his ability to um, do those things. Uh, I don't Oh, remember. I see. So it was like a way of like being like, okay, this one's a little bit different, and exactly. this is how you yes. can kind of yeah. deal yeah.
1: with yeah. the old. The older sidebar in the Monster Manual
2: just says, the "Acererak is like this demi-lich. Use this stat block, but here are a couple other little things you need to know that make him special right. and stand apart."
1: Got it. I don't think, for example, in fifth edition, all demi-liches trap the soul no. and things like that, are, and whereas Acererak does. Correct.
2: Yes. By trap the soul, you mean by capturing it into in, a, into okay. a gemstone that's embedded in your skull, basically. Right. But, ah. Yeah. Um, all right, well, so uh, Asararak is still bound to a phylactery. He does have a phylactery, although um, because he plays a prominent role in Tomb of Annihilation, one of the questions we had to ask is, where is his phylactery? And uh, Tomb of Annihilation says it's very, 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 very well hidden, but we don't say where. Ah. Um, because the, the, the story of, of uh, Tomb of Annihilation isn't go kill Asararak and destroy his phylactery. Uh, there's something else going on, and well, now you just assured that every player is going to be like, "Well, I want to find it and kill him."
1: <laughs> good luck so, with that. Good luck. <laughs>
2: it's, it's a closely guarded secret, yeah. and ultimately, um, it's left to the DM to decide if and when the phylactery shows up.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's but,
2: it's, it's it's this teacup, isn't it? It's this teacup. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually drinking the souls of the Sarax
0: phylactery. So you'll never you'll never mm. get it. So unless you come to which no I don't no no don't do that. Mm.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Aseric is like is known for a lot of um dead ends and and tricks and you know and red herrings, red, red herrings and stuff like that. Right. So so like you could you could look for his soul in a thousand dungeons and, <laughs> and still just never find it. So it's yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, the other interesting thing about Osirak, of course, is uh, he originated in an adventure that was nominally set in Greyhawk, mm-hmm. um, the world of Orth. But we assume, or Oith, if you pronounce it that way. If you're Scottish. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and, uh, uh, yeah, Democrats say it one way, Republicans say it the other. I don't understand why. I just, um, but uh, It's called the whole thing. Yes, up. but he, because he is a planar traveler. We don't. We. It is not a leap to think that he has landed on different worlds in the material plane and influenced those worlds in weird ways.
0: Yeah. And
2: so, him traveling to to the forgotten realms, not and, beyond the pale. Yes. Uh, uh, is yeah. that if Mordon can travel to Ed Greenwood's kitchen in Canada, then <laughs> Asura can travel from Oyth to Toril. <laughs> if Chewbacca lives on Kashuk,
0: you must acquit. Yes. Yes. Uh, so, what about? Like say when someone encounters a Sararak, uh, you already mentioned it. They should run. Uh, but what what do you think is is would would happen? Like what 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 does his you involvement? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like what, what does that mean for for a player character if they're encountering a Sararak or or have rumors of a Sararak's influence? So,
1: a Sar- a has uh, certain quirks that are common, and they're kind of just things that a Sararak likes. Um, so Sphere of Annihilation is one of those things. Um, the sort of green devil mask, which you can kind of see parts of on the back wall there. Yeah. Um, that is a Sarek's sort of uh, symbol if for, to a degree. His holy symbol. Yeah. Um, there's uh, the for- idea of four-armed gargoyles. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a sort of a juggernaut-like thing. That rolls through places and crushes things. Um, a Serac likes false doors. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing. It's the thing he just likes. It's the thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if, you're, if you meet somebody and, and they have some sort of telltale things like that, that green devil face, as it's called, uh, yeah, that's, that's a sign that you, they're up to no good and that you're in deep trouble. Got it.
2: And he is, uh, uh, what are his goals? What, what does he want? other than just knowledge? In the original Tomb of Horrors, he didn't want much other than to kill adventurers in his tomb um, and and delight in their destruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's a bit of a... I don't want to call him an imp, because that's kind of... <laughs> uh, but uh, he his goals are often to... Be the instrument of adventurer's demise. There's something about watching highfalutin heroes who think they're the hot shit mm. just get trampled into the ground and put away by insidious, horrible, often unpredictable traps. Um, we have we sort of concluded, based on our own experiences playing through Tomb of Horrors, that the the capture and consumption of adventurers' souls is a thing with him. Um, in Tomb of Annihilation, he, on which is set, of course, in the Forgotten Realms, unless you decide to place it elsewhere,
0: mm-hmm.
2: his goals are a little bit different. Um, here, his goal, here uh, we have this story where he found something while traveling the cosmos and uh, thought it was delightful. Um, <laughs> this horrible, horrible, undead thing, uh, this sort of dead god-ling And he brought it back and stowed it away somewhere and is nourishing it with souls to bring it to life again in a fashion. Um, And so there's this, like, father-son kind of thing happening. Oh, it's heartwarming. Yeah, heartwarming is not the (laughs) word I would choose. (laughs) It's it's a coming-of-age story. When you see this creature, no, heartwarming (laughs) is not the word that will spring to mind. But um, this idea of he is... A lot of liches pursue power for the sake of pursuing power. There are some, like Zastam of Thay, who pursue it to be, as a path toward godhood. Mm. Aserak is not Zastam. He's not looking to become a god, but he is trying to create one. I see. So what's better than being a god? Well, the father of gods, right. I guess, is a way to go. Um, so that's what he's currently up to. All right. Um,
0: and, uh, yeah, anything else on, on him before we, we put him to bed? And or destroy him outright?
2: <laughs> um, you, you can meet him in Tomb of Annihilation. You can? Oh, yes. Oh. Yeah. What, what does his voice sound like? Oh geez!
0: <laughs> Not to put you on the
2: spot, but uh, 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 you know you can probably—I'd have to say—he probably sounds like Skeletor <laughs> in my mind.
0: <laughs> Skeletor, I mean, yeah. yeah, he always sounds like he, Skeletor. Was like this, uh, you know, uh, laughable creature. Like his voice yeah. was
2: funny to me. Yeah, sort of high and nasally, yeah. and uh, <laughs> sort of "I'll get you and your little dogs too" kind of sound. <laughs> Um, I sort That's of. That's not the head canon that I. No, it's, but it, whenever I think of him, for some reason, I always think of Skeletor.
0: There's a lot of uh, 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 crossover there for sure. Yeah. Uh, do you think in any way? I mean, just because we've been mentioning liches and, and, and phylacteries and shards of being, uh, I, I go towards uh, uh, what J.K. Rowling wrote in, in, in her story with the Horcruxes and things mm-hmm. like that. Do you see those motifs uh, uh, throughout
1: other pieces of fantasy? Like the lich and the the phylactery kind
0: of a thing? Yeah. Like it seemed that was very much like uh, uh,
2: uh, what was happening in in, in those books.
1: Yeah. I
2: I, I can certainly see a connection between Horcruxes and Voldemort and uh, phylacteries and liches. There does seem to be some similarity there, the idea of basically putting a piece of yourself for your own protection hidden somewhere. I don't know where that traces back to mythologically.
1: Yeah, or like what, how it got into D and D exactly? Like, I'm not, I'm not sure of the origins of the idea of lichdom in D and D. That's that's mysterious to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. me too. We got to get to the bottom of that because I feel like there's a, a a lot of fun stories that could be told there, um, and uh, for and the puzzles as well. Like the idea that like you have to hide something that has a way to get to it in case you, you know, you needed to find it or you had allies that you needed to find your, your, mm-hmm. your phylactery, you need to, you know, there needs to be a pathway. Um, how could uh, Dungeon Masters use some of those ideas and those things uh, that uh, may not necessarily be using a Sarah rack, but like, you know, how, how to use liches in your game to uh,
2: enhance it in a way? Um, well, one of the things you can do is uh, have, well... Liches are very high-level threats, so chances are you're not going to fight one until the end of your adventuring career. So if you want them to actually figure prominently in the campaign, you've either got to have, you know, the, the, the powerful lich that everybody knows about that's sort of locked away in a dungeon somewhere, this ancient evil wizard who is constantly exerting his power over the land, almost like a tyrant, or um, you've got to... Uh, you could have liches basically against one another, Um, In the Forgotten Realms, that's kind of a big deal. Liches are always vying against each other for scraps of ancient magic and lore and and stuff like that. And so you have sort of lich-on-lich warfare going on with adventurers caught in the middle. Oh, that's interesting. Um,
1: Yeah, there's, um, you know, liches, if they manage to feed souls regularly to their phylactery, um, maintain their fleshy form. So the only thing that really gives them away is that there's sort of a cold blue pinprick of light in the back of their eyes, right? And, you know, it's the kind of thing that you you don't see all the time. So, um, you know, you could imagine a lich just being a character in a city, you know, the w- local wizard or the ruler or whatever, um, possibly, uh, that you could have characters whose family have long guarded the blah, blah, blah. Which happens to actually be the lich's Flattery, right? <laughs> like you know. Um, there's lots of interesting ways to to play with that idea um, if you if you want to do that. Because I mean, the Flattery itself it only needs to be a, a little thing. It's like, and I guess the details of it. Uh, there's sort of like a silver um, inside. It, it's it's like a silver box, and the insides of the silver box are inscribed with runes. And then the like the soul of the lich or the blood of the, the lich or something like that is inside that little box, okay. and then whatever else is around it is whatever else is around it. So is that the pommel of a sword? Is it, you know, um, hidden inside a statue? Is it, you know, right. what? It could be anything. Yeah, one interesting
2: plot is to give that a DM can work with is the idea that somehow a lich's phylactery ends up in the character's possession, and all they can do is basically try to keep it out of the lich's grasp while it's sending minions off to get it. Um, That's a way to, to have it be part of the low-level... Uh, uh, right. A part of the campaign. Yeah, and the characters may not even know at first that they have it. Uh, they just found this thing that looks like a, an unopenable box or whatever. Right. And, and something valuable is inside. Right, you know, and they take it to Candlekeep or some other place where there's a sage to find out what it is, and the sage is like, uh, yeah, you better bury that
1: somewhere. <laughs> Do <laughs> not Flush open. that down a toilet. Yeah. yeah. Wait, one day they, they, some event, other adventurers kill the lich, and it appears next to the box. Like, give me the, the box. box. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> give, it, give it here.
2: <laughs> Actually, that's actually a smart idea. The lich should just kill himself and then he appears next <laughs> to the box one D ten days later. Oh, that's a really smart idea. Yeah. How come more liches don't do that? Well, m- most of them are it. smart enough not to lose their phylacter. I guess that's true. Right, yeah.
0: <laughs> I lost my keys. Damn it. Yes. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> and then because liches are so consumed with their own you know, pursuits... Even an evil lich is not necessarily likely to destroy a random party of adventurers unless they meddle in its affairs. Like you could go to Candlekeep in the quest for a spell book or some other ancient lore, and there might be a lich there. Yeah. And he's like, hey. And you're like, hey. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) uh, Forgotten Realms does have um, quite a few good liches. Uh, there's, There's the... Uh, elven version of it called a Norn. and um, those are sort of like, uh, well, I'm, I hesitate to say they're necessarily good, but they are they are um, elves that have been sworn to sort of guard particular things for eternity and so on and so they, they take that upon themselves and do it. And then there are a couple of other uh, liches in the world that are not necessarily super evil. Um, <laughs> but, uh, th- should I mention who they are? I guess I should. I guess, I- well, so, uh, there's a couple of groups. There's, uh, there's a couple of things. One is, uh, there's the, um, oh, what are they? The Knights of, uh, Thornhold and so on. Help me out, Chris. Um, oh, Samular? Yeah, the Knights of Samular. So they the Knights of Samular uh, appeared in, to a degree, in the, um, uh, was it Prince of the Apocalypse? Did they show up in yes, there a little bit? Yes, they made an appearance in there. Yep. And one of their founders is actually a lich. Oh. Uh, he was saved on the battlefield by his brother when they had a great big battle. Um, his brother basically fed him the potion that turned him into a, a lich as sort of the final piece of the ritual. Um, and then he went into hiding, essentially, and so his sort of magically protected tower, which is um, held as sort of a holy place by the Knights of Samular, these, this sort of group of good guy knights and paladins and stuff like that, uh, actually has a, a, a lich living in it, and he's, he's still there. <laughs> um, yes, his name is Renwick Caradon. is that yes, right? Uh, yeah. White Cloak, I think, is his nickname. Yeah. And yeah. he's
0: just uh, living forever, protecting what he's protecting, and has he's a phylactery. He's
1: engaged in something? I don't know, I'm doing some sort of research. Who knows? He likes to read a lot, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) And he's got lots of time to do it now. Uh, And the other one is a character that's, uh, it's it's a little known that this is true, but it is true. Uh, uh, Agaron, the founder, essentially the founding father of Waterdeep, is uh, also a lich and is also in a tower in the middle of the city that's magically protected, still there. Never just comes out. He's just doing his thing. He's just doing his
0: thing, and he's not evil. Ish. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you two had the, the exact same reaction. <laughs> You
2: know, he hasn't he's killed anybody tr- recently yeah, in I the mean, last few thousand years.
1: He did turn himself into a lich, and he has somehow been feeding his phylactery with souls. So, you yeah. know, like... But they were all bad. <laughs> I ever seen a
2: lot of them. They deserved it.
0: <laughs> they deserve to get absorbed into that. I mean, that, that's an interesting idea. I mean, because, you know, they're all... You're all a little bit evil to do something like this, but could it be done for noble and lawful good reasons, right. you know?
1: and And certainly there are ways to... Procure essentially what you know are evil souls. So, for example, night hags are um, engaged in the trade of larvae, and larvae are uh, basically evil souls that have been um, sent to Hades or uh, Hell, or I think maybe mostly just Hades. Mm-hmm. But um, basically, they're, they they pick them up off the ground essentially, and you know sell those to demons and devils or whomever else wants them. Yeah. Uh, and liches, there's one of the... Liches get a discount. <laughs> one they, of the people they, who they, want yeah. them. But they get I, the
2: elderly discount. Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> the yeah, but, blue light special. You know, so like, yeah, you're, you're eating evil souls and destroying them. That still sounds pretty evil. Uh, and you're kind of, whatever you're doing, whatever you're giving back to these night hags, uh, you're supporting this weird... Evil industry of <laughs> like, what is she doing with whatever she's getting from you? Yeah, where does she get it from? Yeah, that it, yeah. yeah so, so it, it's, it, I mean, there's a way for for and basically evil character to say, I'm not evil. I'm doing this for good reasons, but uh-huh. they're still kind of yeah. You're and still evil. justify the
0: means yeah. or yeah. the means justify yeah exactly right. Uh, do you think you would, have you guys ever had a player character in one of your campaigns that wanted to become a lich? Oh, over the years, yeah, a couple. Have have, have you
2: let them do it? No. <laughs> <laughs> why it's sort of well were I to, it would kind of like be a an, kind of a campaign ender for that character it's like your son setting that character he's going to go off and become a lich and if I ever ran a sequel campaign maybe that lich would play a role somehow
0: oh like, yeah be the bad um, guy but
2: or... it's not like I've had a character become a lich and then remain a fully functioning <laughs> <laughs> member of the party continue to hang <laughs> guys. hey what's going on <laughs> oh I dropped my crystal Dang our it. halfling rogue, our goliath barbarian, and our lich. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it just, <laughs> well, doesn't, work. Mean, there just is, doesn't work that way. There is, uh, what was it
0: in uh, uh, Sword Coast Legends? There was the, the necromancer with the heart of gold. Uh, mm. That whole idea that, like, all right, well, you know, yes, you can raise the dead, but you may have good intentions uh, yeah. behind what you're doing. Uh, but it sounds like, yeah, it would end up killing that campaign.
2: Mm hmm. Yeah. could be a good ending, one. be I mean, like, I don't want to become a lich, yeah. but I became one. If you're wrapping up the high level campaign and the wizard wants to go off to become a lich, hey, knock yourself out. That's great. Yeah. Nice. All right. Uh, well, maybe that's what's happening to Asariak this whole time. Is that uh, he
0: was he was a hero at one point, and so now he just delights in killing heroes. Who knows?
1: Yeah, his backstory is really weird. It's convoluted, and it got. Uh, added to and changed over the yeah. years. At some and point, s- he
2: was a tiefling, yeah, and then yeah. he was a human again, yeah, and then a,
1: a cambion, and like it, it just got, woo-woo, woo-woo, just over the years, just all kinds of different things happened. At one point, uh, he hang out hung out with some warforged in in Eberron. Yeah, uh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, in our current incarnation, do those things act-
1: happen, or is it? Uh, so, one of the things that we did in looking back at the, the lore for a CERAC for 5th edition and Lich's, Demon Liches was kind of like, look at all that stuff that was done in the publication history and say, okay, we're looking at the totality of it. Sometimes when you, in the past, uh, when we were creating products, you know, some author would look at the one or two books that they had on their shelves available to them. Well, we we were able to go back and look through everything that's been done and said for a CERAC through the years. And looking at the totality of that, you could see the through line of, oh, it makes sense that liches need to have souls, To then they become demi-liches. Ah, Sarak is this guy who seems to be really interested in um, killing adventurers. Why does he kill adventurers? Oh, maybe he wants their souls or something like that. Why does he need that? You know, always oh, doing these different things and so on and so forth. And you could kind of see the whole through line there. Um, I don't think we kept the idea that a Serac is somehow a Tiefling or a at all, no. um, because that was just a bit a bit weird in the yeah. history of the, the character. Yeah, it, it just seemed like a a weird branch that didn't go anywhere
2: I see. in in the canon, and right. it was counteracted later on. And then, um, although just in terms of intellectual discussion, it made for some interesting conversations. Like we talked about the idea that, and we never committed to this, but the idea that maybe his fascination with the devil face is somehow tied to his origins, like it wasn't a random symbol, like somehow he's got some tie to devils, but we don't know what it is. Mm. Um, And as we got down, it started to get a little bit weird and melodramatic, like maybe his dad was a devil, and you know the first image he had in his mind was this face staring down (laughs) at him. And that (laughs) face (laughs) is what he, you know, that's the thing that he clings to. Uh, to sort of understand his own history, but then it's like, oh fuck it, he's just a.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at, at the point at which you're imagining Baby Sarek yes. in, in in bed and like a, a, like a bearded devil leering over him, it's like, I'm your daddy. <laughs> it's just, no. it's like,
2: yeah, we've gone too far. <laughs> All Turns right. out that's not what's important about a Sarac. Yeah. So you, went,
0: you basically took all the, the, the versions of right. him. And, and like- honestly,
2: it's stripped a lot of the mystery out of the symbol. Like, why explain something that's never been clearly explained before if you don't have to? Why not just leave it a mystery and let the people muse about it? Right. Right, what it means. You know, and
0: then have, and then, you know, do things like this and give the people the ideas and then all of a sudden it becomes the canon for that person's table because they like that idea or something like right. that. Exactly. seems
2: to make much more,
0: more yes. sense than rather than...
2: But if you like devil daddy staring down at baby Asarak <laughs> in his little bone crypt crib, <laughs> go
1: for it. I kind of dig that. Take I that want idea to, and roll with I'm
2: it. I'm going to use it. I'm totally going <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think it's probably made of gold because like that couch that's in the Tomb of Horrors of the Ritual Adventure, it's made of gold. Yeah. yeah that's that's then you gotta tie it all together. Yes,
2: yes. Every <laughs> detail needs to make sense. <laughs> yes. Speaking of details that make sense, just in closing, so a being a world traveler, one of the things we did in Tomb of Annihilation was there is a big tomb and we mm-hmm. wanted to preserve one of the key aspects of the original tomb, which was like you could never predict what was in the next room. Yeah. The idea that Aserac collects things from his journey through the multiverse and the cosmos, and those things are so multivaried that there's almost no sense to it. Mm. Um, it's like going into Bruce Wayne's manor, going from room to room, and you know, he's got statues from this part of Earth and statues from this part of a Earth. Big and
1: giant penny.
2: Big giant penny. It's like
1: <laughs> um,
2: Aserac's very much the same way. <laughs> yeah. And so the Tomb of Annihilation, room to room, you get a lot of different sort of cultural mashups, and I think that's part of the charm of the tomb. And he'll uh, uh, collect it from not just Forgotten Realms, but right. from
0: all over, yeah. over the plains. Yeah. You're like, this architect was
2: pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah.
0: There's a lot of uh, 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 inebriance in Schultz mm-hmm. that uh, made him want to build that that way. All right, well, thank you guys uh, for that for that deep dive on lichdom and Uh, Sarah Rack. uh Good stuff. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you and ask you more questions, how do they get that uh, to
2: you? Mr. I am on Twitter at Chris Perkins DND. And,
1: I'm on Twitter at... Uh, At Cernet. (laughs) S-E-R-N-E-T-T. That's
2: right. Uh,
0: And I'm at Greg Tito. Don't ask me anything about where my phylactery is. Please. Uh, Thanks, guys. We'll be back with more lore uh, soon. I really enjoyed listening to that segment and uh, even recording that segment. It was a good times. uh, And I'm going to tell you that I have all the positive feelings about all the things that I learned. And I'm going to skip through any more banter that may happen with myself by calling up Mr. Dylan Sprouse so I can banter with him. Thank you, Ryan. Hello. Hello, sir. How are you?
3: Hey, I'm here. I'm here.
0: You're here. Nice. Are you on uh, East Coast time or West Coast time?
3: No, I'm on West Coast time, and I'm actually my schedule's all messed up. I've been doing uh, some night shoots out here, and I went to sleep at 8 a.m. So. Oh no. Uh, yeah, no, but I'm uh, I'm actually enlivened. I always rise out of my vampiric slumber to talk about Dungeons and Dragons, of course. So. <laughs>
0: Nice. Well, good. I'm glad I got that uh, email out to you when you were probably still sleeping and cursing me for uh, the emails coming in.
3: <laughs> I actually, I, I, am not exaggerating about this. I had a mini nightmare because I was like oh, emails and I knew I needed to email you. So it was perfect timing. Actually, I woke up to your actual email realized. So it was perfect.
0: Nice. Cool. That was the same with, uh, you know, prepping for stream of annihilation too. It was like the emails came at the exact moments that you wanted them to come
3: exactly exactly can't I mean, go wrong with that night.
0: uh can you talk about what you're working on right now or is it uh, uh, uh hush hush what are, what are you doing night shoots for i'm super interested
3: <clears throat> um so yeah i can talk a little bit about it i uh I'm, I'm actually just shooting a short out here uh for a couple days we finished last night um it's this uh art house short by a very talented young director named uh eva dolezalova um uh Ooh, cool uh, God, God bless me kazoon uh, uh, <laughs> type
0: you so actually I, did that without a hitch though you had you had that uh, completely uh, you know uh, uh, pronounced correctly
3: yeah I've been practicing it the last few days in the <laughs> mirror um,
0: <laughs> that's like what I did when I when I had to talk to Joe Manganello I basically said that over <laughs> and over again until I yeah. didn't get it wrong
3: I just say hey buddy that's <laughs> what <I> did,
0: so. <laughs> that only works on your kids that doesn't work as much when you do it when you over-
3: <laughs> with uh, with a guy like Joe who's you know so t- Tall and big, yeah. A <laughs> um, I'm a little bit like the goblin to his orc. I feel like he's just this huge impending guy, and I'm running around like, "Hey, get him, boss!" <laughs> um,
0: Do you remember that old? Com- um, I'm probably dating myself, and you probably don't know what I'm talking about. There was an old uh, 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 pet com- pet food commercial where there was like the little dog that was jumping over the big dog. And it was basically like that. It was like the big bill dogs are on. Row, 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 and the little guy's like, hey, guy,
3: hey, guy. And he's jumping back and forth. <laughs> that's exactly, yeah, that's exactly our dynamic in real life, I think. <laughs>
0: I think that's true. I think that's totally true. <laughs> nice. Well, I can't wait to see this uh, this this art film. It sounds like a pretty cool project, especially if you're shooting at night. That means you are going to be a vampire, hopefully.
3: Yeah, yeah. And I have long hair right now, so it's, a, it's, a, it's extra silly looking. I don't know if you've seen the uh, – the Castlevania Netflix series that got released, yeah, but they modeled Alucard off of me, so, <laughs> so that's that's what we're looking at. <laughs>
0: yeah, didn't, don't your, your luscious locks have like some kind of a uh, uh, you know magic item type properties as well?
3: Uh, yeah, in real life they do, but they don't in game <laughs> yet. Um, yeah, I've been talking to to Nathan see if he can get that written in canonically. Um, but, yeah, not yet. So hold on. Maybe sixth edition.
0: I think with, uh, uh, you know, the 400-year-old, 2 year old tall guy, you know, he, he's earned his, his magic locks.
3: That's right. Yeah, he's definitely hairy as hell now. I feel like if you're a druid, you just kind of have to be hairy. That's a thing, I feel.
0: I think so. Yeah, they're usually not like, you know, groomed and clean cuts. You know, there's not very many metrosexual druids out there.
3: No, no. I mean there's probably somewhere in like the Elven forests maybe, mm. but Tyrol is just a dirty, hairy furball so. Yeah, he's lived he's lived through his fair share.
0: Did uh so you made uh or no, you were yeah. Oh, good. We have the art right next to you so people can see exactly uh what uh uh, uh Sean Wood crafted for for Tyrol
3: Tall guy. Oh, yeah. Team. It's really cool. Yeah. When I saw that, I was like, "What?" Um Yes yeah, so, Idol Champions too, which was I know with the video game art for that, I was just so excited for
0: yeah uh, and if that's that's to... not if that's not out yet, I think it'll be out in the next few days. Uh, so you should check out idolchampions.com to see uh, two old tall guys art in there uh, It's very like almost like on a cartoony version of, uh, of, of that character. mm-hmm mm hmm it looks it's good. Really cool. So you joined us uh, – you joined Force Grey for the Lost episode uh, at the Egyptian Theater uh, last yeah. December. and That was a long four-hour session uh, with Mr. Matt Mercer. Uh, did you uh, – and he created Tyrrell Tall Guy kind of through uh, back and forth with us if, if I remember correctly.
3: That's right, yeah, because um, both the Furbolg and the Tabaxi were new to Volos. That's right. Guide, which was releasing around the same time as the lost episode. So, uh, w- I know that you guys, uh, we kept in contact with you guys, try to create something out of the new content mm-hmm. and, uh, and I love playing druids. And so I think the furball fit really well for that. Um, so yeah, we jumped right into, to Tyrell.
0: Had you ever T- played a, uh, a furbolg before?
3: No, no, I've, I've never played a furball before. Um, I've played druids before. They're definitely my favorite class to play, mm-hmm. um, but never, never before this. Uh, you guys didn't give me the the beta copy of Volo, so maybe next time.
0: <laughs> next time we'll get you something else. Uh, so, so what is it about druids that that uh, speaks to you?
3: Um, you know, I think it's because as a player, I'm uh, I I like to fill kind of a A more entrepreneurial role between support and um, melee and and or support and damage really Um, so so for me circle of the moon druid particularly is fun because it also kind of leaves room for a lot of role-playing opportunities Mm -hmm. um, which we have plenty of in in the new season of force gray i get to kind of uh, play around with some new shape shifting forms. Um, and, and so I think that's what I really enjoy about it is it's kind of multifaceted utility. Um, primarily I have, uh, uh,
0: you've, you've got some high praise from multiple sources for your creativity and shape shifting and using the Druid powers that in ways that I don't think many people would really, you know, ever conceive of.
3: <laughs> oh, that's, that's awesome to hear. Yeah. I really have a lot of fun doing that particularly. I think it's because, you know, I loved the, uh, Teen Titan show growing up too. Uh-huh. So I love Beast Boy. I thought he was awesome. Uh, so I just, essentially I play, uh, T-Roll like Beast Boy. That's what I like to, <laughs> to, to think of him as.
0: That makes sense, right? I mean, he's a shapeshifter. He, he, he does, you know, different stuff. He has to think creatively outside of the box. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. All of the above.
0: <laughs> nice. So, um, so what was it like, you know, cause you'd done that, that, that live show, uh, which, you know, feel free to everybody go check out on the, uh, our Twitch channel under collections for Force Gray. You can definitely find that whole uh, episode. It was live in front of an audience, uh, at the uh, Egyptian theater in LA. Uh, but what was it like going from there to, uh, in, in studio taping and then adding in, you know, two new characters?
3: Well, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was really awesome because obviously there was a, there were a couple new people, um, a little less stressful, I think, because there is, you know, when you're doing a live show like that, there's, yeah. uh, I think there's a very different dynamic, but, um, it was also, I think it allowed us to kind of have, um, a little more, uh, breathing room, which was good going into the into the studio actually, but there's really nothing like the kind of electric vibe of doing a live performance, um, like that. And you know, for me, I had done a couple of Twitch streams, like casual Twitch streams and stuff, D and D. Um, and that's really fun too, because you know, like this, even interacting with chat and talking to chat is like a live performance, but tangibly seeing people in the audience, is so so cool and uh and having the response of them either laughing at what's going on or cheering or yelling or screaming it's it's really it's it's a very fun vibe um but you know i think at the same time we get all of that wrapped up and all of that same dynamic and camaraderie in the new season uh, in a really fun way. I think I, I still look back on some of our interactions. I'll message the force gate, force great crew over, um, over Instagram and I'll, I'll, think about some of the scenarios that we went through. Um, and I'll just, I'll shoot them a text and we'll laugh about it still. So nice. I'm looking forward. Maybe we'll be able to get another live show sometime soon. Huh? Yeah. That's,
0: <laughs> I like the cadence of doing like, you know, uh, uh, here's the series over the course of a summer and then doing like a live show at the end of the year. It kind of actually made it super fun. So, yeah, you know, we're thinking about it.
1: Awesome. What,
0: what do you think people out in the world? Do you think there's some demand for a live show? Uh, I'm not sure where we would do it, what city, but, you know, you might just have to travel people so that you can see it all happen in real life. Um, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, maybe we'll do it in, uh, in, in New York.
3: Hey, that would be awesome. And, uh, if we need a space too, we can always go to the, to my brewery and have some brew afterwards. That's right. Which I still need to, I still need to give you Greg.
0: <laughs> yes. I need to taste this. I need to. Uh, so where, so yeah. It, do you want to talk a little bit about the meadery? What's happening with that? It's opening in the next month. I think you had said,
3: yeah, yeah. I can talk about it really briefly. And before we get back to D. um, yeah, we're very close to opening. So that's kind of the gist of <laughs> <was> <laughs> we're very close we've just uh, been working on uh, architecture and build out um and uh, and we finally have all of our uh, ducks in a row and so i think we're shooting for a late september opening um the 21st tentatively i uh, cross my fingers because these things are never really uh super solid but, um, yeah, we're going to open soon, and uh, I'm definitely going to run some campaigns out of the manufacturing floor with some buddies. Oh,
0: nice. Is there going to be, like, a, a a space for that?
3: I mean, not dedicated solely to that, no, <laughs> but um, definitely is going to happen there anyway.
0: <laughs> All right, nice. I love that. And it's called All Wise Meadery,
3: right? That's right, yeah, yeah.
0: And mead, like I, I had never actually tasted mead. I know that sounds crazy for a and d person never to have done it, but... <laughs> Uh, I get, I get varying, uh, levels of people who be like, no, it's gross to like, no, you should try it. I think you'd like it.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, I actually generally think that the market of meat is pretty gross too. Um, because mm. a lot of people don't make it right or they don't make it traditionally or they have a weird view on it. Um, and, and what I mean is normally people who brew mead make it really, really sweet. Mm. Um, Which is just – I don't think is really how the majority of people like to drink, right? If they want something, they're usually something – going for something a little more dry or along that road. So we make a a nice dry mead that's generally really palatable um, uh, for more than one or two glasses. Um, So yeah, no, I agree with them on the most part. But if you go out right now and you decide to – uh, buy mead off the shelf. You will generally find that it's uh, it's sweet, um, and people will make it taste like cough syrup. It's gross. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah makes it's sense. But we're trying to change that a little bit.
0: Okay, cool. That's interesting. I like. I mean, that you see, cider has kind of had that same trajectory where it started off being like super sweet. That was the only thing you could get with like woodchuck back in the day, you mm-hmm. know. And then all of these uh, uh, more dry ciders. I guess they were always around, but they just got to be like a little bit more, uh, you know, marketable. Uh, but like, yeah, you see like now there's a full breadth between, you know, bitter to sweet to everything. So it doesn't just, you know, the, the variety is the spice of life, as they say, especially in the <laughs> drink.
3: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Even in Long Island alone in New York, I think there's about 60 new craft breweries. So. Um, there's a lot of movement in the United States for this stuff right now. And I think, uh, you know, in a weird way, it's inexorably linked with Dungeons and Dragons because, you know, people love to drink and eat and play, uh, all together.
0: I like, I like your segue. Number one, number two, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think that that's fantastic. I want to, my, my next event, I want to have, uh, uh, some mead going on so I can, uh, uh, dungeon master with the best of them
3: yeah so yeah I think we'll legally be able to sell it by then
0: <laughs> <laughs> super cool uh so when you're when you're when your old tall guy is going around uh to taverns and bars around the forgotten realms, what does he drink what does he what does he go for
3: you know normally um he tries not to drink, actually. I think mm. he's kind of anti-drink, uh, unless they have like a nice goat urine or something weird like that. Um, he is a druid after all. He's got to keep on his game. Uh, but if he's offered, he'll he'll try and drink probably beer or something strong because uh, furbolgs are really big, you know. So I think it probably takes them uh, quite a lot of alcohol to feel <laughs> buzzed.
0: The, the science behind how much you would have to consume as a uh, as a and d character. I feel like that used to be in like the older first edition D&D books. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, there was a lot of it. the older role playing books, not just D&D, but a lot of stuff used to have like rolling for drunkenness and stuff, which I think just ended uh, ended its way out at yeah. some point in time. So
0: you mentioned that you do, uh, some dungeon mastering for, uh, pug crawl, uh, as mm-hmm. well as you you, you dungeon mastered at stream of annihilation. Uh, have you been able to do, uh, you know, kind of a weekly game, uh, you know, in over the summer?
3: Um, I, so not weekly, but yeah, I've, I've, uh, picked up a few games with some friends. I think, you know, it's funny because, um, in the last, I want to say in the last four, three, four years, Mm -hmm. There's so much more interest in D&D with people who have never played D&D before, I think. Um, You know this very well, but um, since I have uh, kind of always preach to my friends about D and D I think now the friends who are thinking of jumping on board have started reaching out to me and be like, Hey, can you DM groups? Uh, can you, can you come play with us? Can you do this? We could use some advice. Um, and so I've been actually playing a lot with people who don't normally play. Um, that's super cool. So, I
0: feel like that's like a new, uh, uh, thing we're hearing from all, all over, like someone who's just you know, oh, I never really knew what it was to, you know, oh, I watched uh, a critical role or I watched force gray or or something. And I'm like, oh, I feel like I might want to actually try that now. You know, it, it, it's, it's breaking through people's built up inhibitions that they might have, have, have had about it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, the landscape has changed really dramatically for the, for the better, I think. Mm. Um, and you know, particularly because in the uh, in the actors' world too, there's so much interest in D and D right now because of its kind of improv nature and its role playing, and uh, and so I, I have a lot of actor friends reaching out to me more than ever about it.
0: Oh no way! Really, that's cool. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah. Do a lot you think? Of them are interested.
0: Do you think it, it also dovetails with the rise of uh, like improv comedy? Because uh, I, cause I feel, totally yeah right because I feel like that has only really been in the last ten twenty years where Upright Citizens Brigade has like a you know a school in every city now it feels like and you know second cities is kind of expanding all over you know like, so everybody feels like oh yeah we're into improv comedy you know and I feel like the interest in improv role playing you know uh, which is essentially what D and D is has has kind of also grown at the same time
3: yeah totally uh, totally and and you know I think it's also the the perception behind it too right I think. Uh, more than ever, people are viewing it as a sort of theatrical performance, right? D&D, more than ever. I think that there was a – streaming certainly helped. Um, certainly helped. In fact, I think it's a primary force. Uh, but I think because uh, a lot of people may have had thoughts about doing D&D on stage or stuff, but they weren't sure that – um, if you weren't playing, people would be interested in mm, it. Right. Um, and now that I think that that's proven that, uh, even though people aren't playing, they still love to tune in and watch the interaction between the players and the DM, um, that a lot of improv comedians or, or actors, things are are looking towards this kind of performance with D and D because they've already been playing D D and D in truth. Um, but they just haven't thought about, uh, doing it as their craft before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then it's got that sense of like, it feels like, uh, you're not taking a night off from whatever work you would be doing creatively. It's kind of like, uh, you know, it's a way to recharge the batteries for, for some people too.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very true. And in a way it's, it's the kind of most, it, it really reaches to the heart of improv and acting, too, which is this kind of interactive, uh, very fun, fast paced um, scenario where you do definitively have a backbone of rules to guide you through, um, which is awesome. Right. It's not,
0: it's not like completely free form where, oh, you can do anything. I mean, there's there is a bit of a skeleton of, of a reality to it. Yeah. hmm. That makes exactly. sense. Exactly. So, what was it like uh, uh, working with, uh, uh, say, Deborah Ann Wall? Was have you have you ever met her before?
3: No, no, I've never met Deborah before, but she is uh, she's a really great player. Um, she is she's always DM'd. I think she told me. So, I think I always love playing with people who DM too, yeah. particularly um, because I think they look at the game differently. Uh, I think that they are. Generally, people who DM who are now players are generally more team players. I find, uh, or they like to kind of alley oop people into fun scenarios. Mm. Um, and uh, and Deborah's really good at that. At the same time, she was super super into her character. Uh, she plays a barbarian in this, and she really whoops ass. I mean, <laughs> I was I was rolling on like two d fours at a time, and she's getting like sixty crits. I'm like, Oh my God. Oh man. Barbarians are so fun. Um, but yeah, she's, she's a really, really good player. And I, she's been running long form campaigns forever and it really shows. Um, and not, not only that, but she's just truly such a nice human being um, mm. same time so it was an utter pleasure to work with her and joe for that matter too who's new uh to force gray as well and i say new but i myself am kind of new as well right i only did a live performance before them um so so both of them coming on and have created a, a really cool dynamic um and joe is kind of it's, it's fun because Joe is very like headstrong player. I don't know if he's DM'd before, but he's got this, he's got his dragonborn paladin, right. Who just kind of charges in and destroys things. And right. then, you know, <laughs> our, our kind of more crafty characters or, or characters who are a little squishier, like, Oh God, let's break him out of this. <laughs> um, and that's been a lot of fun. It's a, been a fun dynamic.
0: I love when there's a little conflict between, you know, the the people who are like, hey, we can t- talk our way out of this or we can you know sneak our way out. But no, we're just going to smash.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's always someone in the group who just needs to dash his head against them.
0: <laughs> right. Uh, so what, what was it like playing with uh, 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 Utkarsh? I mean, he he was there at the live game, but, uh, you know, he's in many ways the, uh, a newer D&D player than uh, than any of the others.
3: Utkarsh is great. Um we always have a lot of fun on and off set. He's a super fun, sociable guy. And uh, I think his character is is perfect. Uh, His play style is really perfect. It's fun because he doesn't know the, the, uh, the actual rules so well, um, which I actually find very fun to play with people like that because you see this kind of uh, you see them learning as they go. And then, the cogs are turning in their heads of the opportunities that they now have with their abilities when they're using them to the best, uh, that they can. Yeah. And, uh, and seeing him do that was really fun in this season, particularly. And, uh, <laughs> and Joe, his interaction with him with cars is so funny because, you know, Joe is, he's been playing forever. So he, he actually came to the second day that we were shooting. He came and he was like, gosh i have some notes uh, you, could, <laughs> you could be using your character a little better um and he was like teaching him about opportunities and uh and all of this and they were uh vibing with each other in that way and oh, joe nice. also brought us all like card binders too and was helping him through that but ukars is very funny so every moment that uh is kind of a wise crack can be said he always takes the opportunity to do that too which is it's very fun
0: that is cool did you uh, did you know that Joe? Well, yeah, right, because you met Joe when he came to the uh, to the uh, last episode.
3: Yeah, just very briefly, I met him there.
0: Yeah, he was he came as a fan that always just blew me away. Where he was like, he just wanted to come and see it because he'd seen all the previous episodes, and he was like, yeah, I'll do I'll do it. And that, yeah, that,
3: yeah, he's no, he's a die hard D and D player, like ride or die. The guy's been there since the beginning. He loves it. I love
0: it. Ride the lightning, keep it going. Yeah,
3: he's got he's got a binder full of his character art he'll he'll like spend some time at night go back look up images that he thinks inspires his character print <laughs> them out and put them in a binder it's so legit it's so legit it's like a, uh,
0: <laughs> he's got like a pin pin pinterest board for uh, for ark and the cruel
3: yeah it's awesome <laughs> Like backstories and it's like his son too and it's like okay if this happens then it's like a, a family tree it's oh so cool
0: God. Here's here's my thought collage for my character.
3: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly.
0: That's cool. Uh, what about uh, Brian, who's playing Calliope?
3: Brian's hilarious. Um, I mean, anyone who knows him knows that he's uh, his character. Particularly, he hasn't played Bard before, so that he's it's really fun to see him uh, explore that character in, in a way. And he's always the first to to drop a cuss, um, (laughs) when he's looking dead into an enemy's eyes and it just never fails to make me laugh. Um, and, uh, and his, the spells that he does use, he uses just repeatedly, um, to kind of uh, mess with his environment in the best way. Yeah. And I, I still can only picture his voice coming out of, uh, his character's mouth, which is, (laughs) I believe a half elf bard, right? That's right. You she know. is, she's this kind of, you know, spelt half elf with his like gravelly voice coming out of it. And it's so funny to me. Um, with, with
0: an eye patch and, uh, <laughs> a loot as a, as a, as a club.
3: Yeah. And he has his, uh, his rapier, which I believe is just Sir Stabby or, and it talks to him, uh, <laughs> which is so great. And he always puts on his, uh, his British accent or something when he uses it. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, he's, he's a real character. Um, did you know
0: Brian from, uh, from your days at Meltdown?
3: Yeah, so not only did I know Brian from my days at Meltdown, but uh, funny enough, so when I was doing uh, the show with my brother on Disney Channel, um, he was in an episode in the later seasons, and we did one episode together. Oh, no um, way. Reunited years later to play D and D, which is so so cool. Um, yeah, he played like an Antarctic explorer who was like <laughs> frozen inside of a inside of a bunker, um, and we had a we had a blast acting together on set. Um, and I know he filmed Sarah Silverman show on the same lot as us so we've always kind of been around in circles um and he is always listening to metal music very loud so we were talking about uh Amon Amarth and, and uh, you know just Thor in general <laughs> because you know when those are inexorably linked uh of course so, they are yes yeah
0: just like so- Led Zeppelin in that uh that, that Thor Ragnarok uh preview I can never separate those two now
3: exactly yeah exactly come from land of ice and snow
0: man. I know. It's like it fits so perfectly. I want to just if that trailer is not I mean the movie's not as good as that trailer, it's going to be a big flop. <laughs> cuz I just watch <laughs> that trailer be, like every week I now.
3: I think it's going to be good. Uh, I, think so too. I I love Spider-Man too. Spider-Man was pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, um, me too. Um so that's crazy. I didn't realize you got that you and Brian had, had that that history. Uh you know, uh, yeah, cuz he there was a point where he was popping up as a as a guest star on a lot of stuff, so That is, uh, that's kind of awesome. Do you ever, do you ever do that, uh, with other folks from like, oh, we worked together, you know, 20 years ago. And they're like, really? I don't really remember that.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's the funny thing is that we, so my brother and I did that show for, uh, I think it was like seven years, right? So we were over, I think, 250 episodes or something, which is, you know, by that time, you just, they all kind of blend into one. So yeah. every once in a while, I'll see a, a friendly face and be like, Oh my God. And all of these memories come rushing back of the week that we, uh, that we acted together. So yeah, it, it happens. It happens. Um, and, uh, it was our lot, particularly Hollywood center studios where we were shooting had a lot of people coming through there all the time so yeah i not many i know played D, which is why it was so cool to reunite with brian about it
0: yeah for sure right you know maybe maybe now there'll be as you were talking about with the more and more uh, uh actors and creative folks getting into dungeon dragons that that'll happen more now you would be like we, we we acted together you know 15 years ago but now we can play D.
3: yeah i think so I yeah think, and i you know Television, like Stranger Things, is even making it more popular, right? It's popularizing in a way that is only going to increase the player base and and the passion for it in the best of ways.
0: Absolutely. What I love about Stranger Things, and I hope the second season does this too, but it was was so good at at encapsulating – that Dungeons and Dragons is about cooperation and teamwork and being your best selves together uh, and and wanting to to pick up your teammates and and you know uh, get the, the get the job done and that's that's essentially what is happening around every table when you know you're fighting you know the demogorgon but then you're also just fighting the dragon or you know fighting whatever uh, uh, you want you guys are struggling with against in Chult <gasps> you know oh, yeah. it's it's that same thing.
3: Yeah, no, it's it's very true, and and I think you can actually see our teamwork kind of come together more and more in this season. In oh, really? Yeah, yeah, you can definitely see that, um, and so I'm excited for everyone to watch it. Um, it's at uh, in 30 minutes, right?
0: Yeah, in three. That's right. Well, 20 minutes. We're going to start. Yeah, with the uh, the. Uh, premiere of episodes one and two we're going to get right into it so that should be pretty exciting thank you for reminding me because i was like oh yeah i should make a little you know hey it's gonna be happening soon in case you're (laughs) wondering
3: (laughs) and it's being streamed right here right
0: that's right right here on this channel and you're gonna hang out in the chat for a little bit right
3: yeah yeah i'm definitely i'm gonna watch you know i haven't seen the actual edited uh, production of it yet so i'm gonna watch
0: nice me too because i've been uh you know going around helping promote it and talking to people but i haven't been in the editing uh you know the actual uh, uh decision making and whatever those t- top of the <laughs> top of the above the line you know person working on uh making it happen for just that reason you know you don't want to necessarily want to spoil it for yourself so i'm excited yeah. to, to watch it all
3: no it's more fun that way anyway plus you're like busy as hell. You're always doing something.
0: <laughs> There's been a lot going on, for sure. Yeah. I, in, I've been in this room, this little uh, uh, D&D studio room a lot over the last few weeks with these these fine gentlemen that are staring at me right now.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you're hot. Exactly. You're the basement child now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's true. They'll never let me out.
3: <laughs> you will communicate with everybody, and that's what you do down there.
0: And you will do it with a smile on your face. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> of course, master. Now I need all of all of you all uh watching and listening right now to uh, uh storm the castle and save me from from Nathan Stewart. <laughs> who's the evil guy who's been keeping me in here? <laughs> He's the evil wizard. Nice. So uh so yeah, we're always looking forward to 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 more of this story. Do you think uh, you guys, you guys recorded this over two days, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Two days. And by the end of the second day, we wanted to keep doing it. We were all like trying to squeeze out as many more minutes that we, uh, that we had in the studio. Um, yeah, it was a very, very fun shoot. Uh, the two days. Um,
0: how are the craft and- services? Craft services good?
3: Oh, just delectable, <laughs> and they had the whole spread right of vegan options and and uh, regular human options.
0: I love it. And regular and regular humans,
3: yeah. And <laughs> non-elf player options,
0: right? Uh, but yeah, no, I think we're going to squeeze out a whole bunch of episodes from from those two days, which is awesome. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm always looking toward the future. What uh, do you know? Any. And maybe this is more in speculative territory but do you uh, have any uh, people, entertainers that you would love to, to get involved in, in a, a season of this in the future?
3: Well, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I'm trying to uh, think off the top of my head. I, I mean, a lot of the pug crawl people that I played with, I think at one point in time would love, love to join us uh, uh, on this. Um but I was talking to a buddy earlier, Jack Kilmer, about Dungeons and & Dragons, and he seems really, really interested in it. Um, as well as, you know, I, I'd love to get another campaign going with my brother soon, too. Um, because yeah. he, uh, he always has very, very fun, creative characters. Um, and I haven't played with him in a minute. Um, so maybe one day when he's back from Vancouver. Right.
0: Cause he's shooting, uh, the art, art, Archie show. Is that right?
3: Yeah. He's, he's up in Vancouver full-time shooting Riverdale. Um, right. so he's, he's up there for eight month period at a time. Um, and, uh, he doesn't get to play D and D up there with them. So when he does come back, he likes to jump in and pick up games with us.
0: That's cool. Did you guys play a lot growing up?
3: Yeah. So, uh, I did, I think I did an interview on YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. uh, about this a little bit but so cole and i so there's a famous comic book shop in hollywood off a of sunset called meltdown comics and cole and i were in there after the set uh, or after work every day like we would go there and pick up new comics and toys and talk to the owner gaston and his kids um and uh i'm also really big into video games so you know, the more that I played RPGs, which are my favorite type of video game, particularly because I don't like playing with other people, um, <laughs> I, I really, you know, you realize that the root of all of that is Dungeons and Dragons, right? right. So we got really interested in that. Um, and eventually, uh, talked to Gastone, who owned Meltdown and Cole and I were like, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if we could run, campaigns out of the back of Meltdown where people could come and play pickup games in Meltdown comics, which is like the coolest staging ground to play Dungeons and Dragons in. And Gaston being the awesome guy he is on top of uh, a very, very quick businessman was like, absolutely. And actually invested time and energy in supporting uh, 15 year old colonized idea. (laughs) about Dungeons and Dragons in the back of Meltdown. And actually those campaigns continued running and they're still running to this day um, in Meltdown comics still. So uh, we've been playing, Cole and I have been playing together for a long time um, and, uh, never really won consistent campaign. Mm. Um, but yeah, we've been playing together for quite some time and he's also joined us on a couple of pug crawl episodes too.
0: Nice. Were you the dungeon master or was he the dungeon master who, who had, uh, uh, most take the helm?
3: Uh, I usually was the DM um, myself. Uh, I was kind of interested in that. And I will say that that was actually a big influence for me going to take video game design in college as my major.
0: Right. At Um, NYU. um,
3: Yeah, at NYU. Because that, you know, learning how to kind of weave a narrative into game mechanics, I found that I just loved it. Um and so I uh, I really became invested in that. But I actually started DMing. I never I didn't play before I DM. Oh really? I started, yeah, I started with DMing. Um and then I started to play more.
0: And uh so which do which do you like better? Which do you think you gravitate towards the most if you had to decide?
3: Um I actually I mean, it really depends. I if I I like the way that uh, we did it at Pug Crawl, which is kind of uh, quick one-off sessions, right? And I would actually say that uh, they're like non-canonical and you roll randomly for characters for people who uh, haven't watched it. Uh, We're not filming very much right now. We haven't actually done an episode in quite some time. Uh, But for those of you who are interested, it's on Twitch. You can just check it out after this. But it's uh, we rolled randomly on a D20 and each uh, number on the D20 correlated to a random character that you would have to play in a scenario that was suggested to us by the Twitch chat. So uh, I loved DMing those because you had this kind of uh, frantic – uh, weird time constraint, as well as this kind of usually outrageous scenario that was anything could happen in, um, in our three hour long sessions that we were playing and n- nothing really mattered after that session. So all of our players would just go wild. And so it was really <laughs> fun to DM those particularly because you could create a pretty interesting story in a three hour time frame. Um,
0: yeah. And I and I like you know the uh, dependence on random elements because there are some people who uh, I mean we can talk a little bit about this too because it's fascinating to me but there there are some people who don't like random encounters uh, or don't like playing with random encounters or or rolling on random tables because it feels random to them it feels like oh it doesn't it doesn't move the story along or or, or many times it just slows the story down um, but I love stuff like that and being forced not forced, but like, you know, you have these uh, uh, prompts and these prompts inspire you to create new stories and new things that you wouldn't have had if you didn't have this random prompt kind of telling you what to do. And that's essentially what Pug Crawl is, is all about. I mean, I'm sure there are stories that were told through your sessions that no one no one ever had any preconceived notion that that was when it, that was going to happen, you know?
3: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. We, we kind of, oh, I think when we were designing it, I was particularly inspired by the, uh, by I was playing a lot of binding of Isaac, which is right. uh, uh, it's a roguelike game and roguelikes are generally um, like heavily reliant on RNGs. Jesus. So I was just so into that at the time. And, uh, and so you're right to say that like we amped that up about D and D to, to 10 um, when we were, playing pug crawl and it's really fun actually it's you know at first uh i was more of an advocate of kind of like no rolling on random spreads when designing characters even yeah but uh i actually really have recently come to love that is is rolling randomly for stats um yeah because you get something
0: high that's like oh why would a warrior have a high charisma all right let's play that out
3: yeah, yeah, and it's really rewarding in that way. Um, I found that it's kind of uh, reward more rewarding than scary in a lot of ways, because I think as a player, you you are uh, usually generally thinking when designing a character, like, oh, well, f- I didn't roll high on that. that. That sucks, it's gonna make my character bad. But in actuality, what makes your character bad is usually the DM, so. <laughs>
0: It, or the bad decisions you make. And <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, exactly. Like your, your character only bad if you're, if you know, the scenario in that particular moment dictates that and, yeah. and you're maybe not optimizing him correctly or her correctly. So I think, uh, I think when you kind of depart from that idea, you can have a lot of fun and you can also feel kind of, uh, less attached to your character in a good way. Um,
0: yeah, I think that is also true. People get so uh latched onto that as their their you know, alternate identity, which which can happen, you know, which is also good and 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 I think having the, one or two of those characters in your life is is a wonderful thing, but there's something really great about uh going completely outside of what you would normally do. Uh you know, like say you love uh, half elves or you always play elf characters like, well, roll something randomly and you're playing a dwarf. And then all of a sudden you have to play what you hate. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I like, you know, the different things that dwarves can do, you know, and I th- I feel like if more people were into that kind of thing, you know, the world would be a happier place.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think it's part of the fun of, of D&D too, is that, you know, because like you know i'm guilty of this i every player i know is pretty guilty of this um generally uh is playing what they're comfortable with um yeah. and you know i do it with druids i know people who do it with like paladins or even uh races in the game so yeah. when you are forced into a position to explore more you can actually kind of find a lot of fun creativity in it
0: that said, you, uh, knowing in and out the druid, uh, capabilities and, uh, you know, the stats of the various animals that you could bring in, uh, definitely did bring a lot to, uh, Tallguy. tall guy. So there's something to be said for being in your wheelhouse as well.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah, certainly. And, you know, I, I, uh, I get a lot of inspiration for Tyril off of, uh, Naruto too, which was kind of funny because he's always summoning like Gamabunda and his like frogs and stuff. And I always think that it's funny to make characters like that. So, so there's a couple <laughs> moments in in the new season that's very like uh, kind of anime weeaboo stuff.
0: <laughs> Knees. I uh, didn't even like think about that. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, I never watched that 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 cartoon. I don't know why. That's was... oh,
3: good. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it definitely suffers from. <laughs> it suffers from like uh, you know exposition and too long they don't know when to end it but Mm. but some of the fight scenes are so sick
0: neat well uh thanks man for 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 calling in and uh being able to talk about force gray uh lost city of um Um, oh i keep saying umu instead of omu um but we're excited about it and we're going to show it in about nine minutes jesus that's that went fast
3: i'm so stoked that uh, i got on to to talk to you for a little bit and that everyone in chat is excited too to watch it too and I really hope that you guys enjoy the new season because uh, I know I do and we had a lot of fun doing it
0: it looks like just even from the trailer that I saw it it looked like you guys immediately uh, uh, you know it's infectious watching people have fun together and it looks like that's what's happening for sure
3: Yeah. Well, thanks again for having me on and uh, I'll be in chat to around with people for a little bit too.
0: Nice. Awesome, dude. Uh, where can people, you know, follow you on Twitter or, or something like that if they want to ask you uh, more questions about your character?
3: Yeah. Uh, I'm super receptive, particularly on, on Instagram to messages, uh, about D and D, um, and on Twitter too. Uh, and all of my handles are just at, Dylan Sprouse, D-Y-L-A-N-S-P-R-O-U-S-E. So I try to keep it simple in that way. I'm not going to, you know, be champagne poppy too. You know?
0: <laughs> That's the way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I I took, I took a, a, a advice from you when I did my Twitter handle too. It's all about the first name, last name.
3: Yeah, it doesn't need to be much more than that. Call exactly. me a traditionalist.
0: Uh, and then I'm going to go through and thank all the people on, on Twitch chat who have all made-up names. But <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, man, and uh, thanks for staying in chat, and I'll be in there too, uh, and I'll, I'll poke you for sure.
3: Awesome. Thanks again, Greg. Talk right. to you soon. Talk to you later. Bye, man. Bye. <laughs>
0: That was the amazing Dylan Sprouse. Uh, he is always fun to talk to about Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, I love getting those stories about when he would play with his brother uh, uh, on the lot uh, and uh, it, it going to Meltdown and stuff. Uh, I just love the fact because I, I was aware of uh, all the goings on in the Disney Channel uh, even though I was – you know, uh, alive and uh, not living at a home where I would watch such things. Uh, but I was aware of all of it through nieces and nephews, and it's just endlessly fascinating to me that the person who was acting in those was at the same time playing Dungeons & Dragons the whole time. It's amazing, uh, and I love hearing those stories. So uh, hopefully he'll come back on again when we do uh, more Forrest Gray uh, or even more before that. Who knows? Uh, and I'll be stopping by his meadery next time I'm in Brooklyn. It's going to happen. I know it is. So keep, keep a glass of mead cold for me. Is it hot? I don't know. Do you serve meat hot or cold? Gosh, I wish I'd asked him that. All right. Well, I guess I'll ask him in chat uh, later on. Uh, But thank you, all of you who are listening, uh, for being here when Shelly is not here. I know she really is the rock that holds this podcast together. Um, Without her, this podcast is nothing. It is worthless. Uh, Anything I do is is dirt, and uh, everything that Shelly produces is gold. Uh, We all know that to be true, uh, and that's why you should check out Betrayal of Baldur's Gates when it comes out on October 6th. Uh, as well as Access and Allies, the anniversary edition, also on October 6th. It's like crazy Avalon Hill Day. Um, you should uh, pay attention to uh, DungeonsandDragons.com if you have any information or want any information about Dungeons and Dragons or how to get in touch with it or how to get started with it. Um, message me on Twitter. I'm at Greg Tito, um, and we can talk about that. Uh, and, of course, you can go follow Wiz- uh, the Dungeons and Dragons official account on Twitter. That's at Wizards underscore DND. Uh, if you would like to watch watch uh, live recordings of these podcasts, you can now do so on Twitch at uh, twitch.tv DND. We record basically every Monday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. It is a balls, and uh, we're going to keep doing more and more stuff like this if you guys are into it, uh, adding more shows, talking to DND creators, as well as um, so maybe some fun new maybe art-related shows. Perhaps we'll do some happy trees here and there. Uh, it'll be amazing. Uh, so pay attention to the Twitch channel. Uh, we're always putting on more and more uh, programming, and uh, there'll be more coming out uh, in the next few months. And all these guys are looking at me being like, what? No more content. We can't do anymore? It's impossible. But no, it is possible, and we're going to do it, and we're going to do it with a smile on our face because we're like a D&D party who is all getting together to slay... The, the Demogorgon monster that is rampaging us which is non-productivity alright this metaphor is going nowhere I don't know what I'm talking about anymore but please make fun of me as much as you can on Twitter uh, and uh, I'm going to be done talking, I've been doing it for about three hours um, and uh, we shall say goodbye but before we do uh, that's the end of the podcast segment All Right? <laughs> should I actually do like the end of like bye 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 goodbye everyone, thank you for listening on the Dragon Talk Podcast episode. I'm going to get better at it, I promise.